you go sit with her while I warm a bottle? Oh, but I don't know much about babies, except how to dress like one. <coughs> All is well. Silence. You are loved. Hi, and welcome to We Talk Funny. I'm your host, Ken Pringle. And today, I've got a very special guest. We're going to be talking with a young woman whose career has really taken off very fast. Just over the course of a few years, she's gone from attending a free workshop and coming to a We Talk Funny live show where she asked me about my agent to signing with that agent, and now she's been the star of video games, anime series, and she's the newest cast member on the largest animated series in the world, The Simpsons, where she's taken over the role of comic book guy's wife, Kumiko. Oh, and her debut episode? Yeah, it got nominated for an Emmy. So, uh, that's talent. It's Jenny Yokobori, and to celebrate Jenny being here with the show, I'm going to have a bowl of Jenny's favorite cereal and one of my all-time favorites as well. This is the classic Captain Crunch with Crunch Berries. Oh, Captain Crunch has actually been around since 1963. It is uh, a perennial favorite at the breakfast table. Mmm. It tastes like nothing else. It's classic. It was actually, the taste of this was originally invented to replicate the taste of butter and sugar over rice. I don't think it tastes anything like that, but it's really, really good. Now, I do like the Crunch Berries version, which was actually the second version of Captain Crunch to come out. Since then, Captain Crunch has actually had over 30 different variations since its creation. Vanilla flavors, chocolate flavors, and some really wild stuff. What, you don't remember Captain Crunch's Mystery Volcano Crunch, where they combined the cereal with Pop Rocks? Yeah, that was the thing. Horatio Magellan Crunch, yes, that's his actual name, makes a darn good breakfast cereal. The only thing he doesn't make is a good captain. If you look at drawings of Captain Crunch, his bars on his sleeves, which is what indicates rank in the United States Navy, never actually achieves the rank of captain. He normally is seen with three, which is a commander, not a captain. But I'm going to let him have a pass on this one. Well, hopefully you've got a bowl of Captain Crunch there yourself. But if not, grab a big bowl of your favorite sugary breakfast treat. And as we always say here on the show, spoons up, let's dig in. Welcome to We Talk Funny. Joining me today, you have heard this lady in multiple video games, including Fire Emblem Heroes and Wasteland 3. Uh, she's the voices of Karomi and Cinema Roll in Hello Kitty and Friends Super Cute Adventures. She's Dashy in the Octonauts movies, which my toddler loves. <laughs> and she has joined the cast of The Simpsons in a recurring role as the voice of the comic book guy's wife, Kumiko. It's Jenny Okamori, everybody. Hi, Jenny. Hey. Thanks for joining me here on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. Uh, so first question I want to ask you, uh, this is a question I actually ask all of my podcast guests, and I'm I'm particularly interested in your answer because you are, are much younger than I am. Uh, you're, <laughs> you're barely able to drink legally, which just I'm definitely not gnawing on my liver right now about that. But uh, <laughs> did you watch Saturday mornings as a cartoons as a kid were you oh, a Saturday absolutely. Morning cartoons? Be well the reason I ask that is because you know Saturday morning cartoons kind of started their decline in the mid 90s around when you were you know not born yet yeah so, <laughs> so I always have to, to check so you did watch cartoons as a kid uh what what were some of your favorites what did you watch um so my Saturday morning cartoons were a mixed bag uh I think growing up in the late 90s early 2000s was cool because uh -huh. it was a very, like, it was a transitional period where it was sort of like a melting pot of Eastern and Western uh, animation. And sure. so my Saturday morning cartoons were things like the, like, Animaniacs, uh, Static Shock. Um, but also it was, like, Pokemon and Digimon and Yu-Gi-Oh! And so it was, like, a cool little uh, hybrid of both of them, both uh, different cultures, which is really cool for me because I'm half Japanese and half American. So that's very cool. I, I love that you brought up Static Shock. I no one ever brings up that show, and I love that. Static show. Shock rule. Oh, oh, Static Shock was so good. That was such a great show. And yeah, you yeah, the rise of like Pokemon and Yu Gi Oh and all of that. That was sort of the last hurrah for Saturday morning cartoons. You had uh, CW was the real the last big holdout for all of that stuff. And by the end there, it was basically Sonic and 
a million different versions of Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah, so. pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I always have to ask uh, because I'm a big fan of it. Did you have a favorite Saturday morning cereal? Did you get the bowl of the big sugary cereal to watch? Captain the Crunch or Cap'n Crunch rather the good Cap'n. Yeah. Nice. Absolutely. Nice. Good call. Still good my favorite. <laughs> Plain Crunchberries, peanut butter crunch. Crunchberries for sure. Strawberry. Oh, Crunchberries crunch okay. for sure. Yeah, yeah. You got a little bit of the classic. You got some, some berries in there too. Got some vitamin C. I, is what I, the lie that I told myself and my mom to get her to buy them for me. There's vitamin C and all that food dye. I'm sure. Probably, it's right? <laughs> Gotta be somewhere. At <laughs> a little bit. So, Jenny, it, uh, so you and I actually have a couple of things in common, not just the fact that we have the same agent, James Murray. Yes. I love everybody over at A3, uh, which I still think of as Abrams, and I, I know I'm not supposed to say that anymore, but I do. Every yep. time I ask to talk to somebody, they're like, who's your agent? I'm like, it's A3. It's Abrams. Yeah. I'm not supposed to say A3. <laughs> But uh, not only do we have that in common, but we are also, like many voice actors, apparently, there's like a club of us, uh, we are both Universal Studios alumni. Yes, uh, we are both tour guides. Yes. World famous Universal Studio tour. Yeah, you, me, Bob Bergen, there's a whole bunch of us. That, Richard that, Tatum. Yeah, yeah Richard Tatum, yeah. Mm -hmm. a lot of, now, when you were doing the tour, um, like, what was the tour like at that point? Because I, I, they've, the tour's gone under, undergone a lot of changes in the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. it was, what was your tour like? Um, in regards to what exactly? <laughs> well, like, okay, so when I was doing the tours, um, they didn't have the monitors up yet. So it literally was just me and that script that was the size of a phone book. Like the yeah, only thing was, mm -hmm. was the one soundboard with the six buttons on it where you could play like the music from Psycho when you pass the Psycho house. Um, but later they put the monitors in and then eventually put, they put the video with Jimmy Fallon where I felt like, boy, you'd pretty much just have to push the buttons and say a couple of words between video clips. That's uh, it, th yeah, that was sort of similar to what my tour was like. Um, yeah. When I came in, they sort of had started to pare down on the Jimmy Fallon content. So we didn't need okay. to play him as much, but he was still a mandatory clip that we did need to play sometimes yeah um and i think working at the studio tour in more ways than one what in one way it was the uh bob bergen's free workshop that he did there that helped me get into voiceover and really like realize that this was the path for me wow but another thing that helped me realize that voiceover was the path for me was that um yeah at the studio tour we had to be on camera and I despised it. <laughs> it was the bane of my existence. And like, I just kept thinking to myself, I'm like, I think I'd like this job a lot more if I didn't have to be on camera. And then something just clicked one day. It's like, oh, I should do voiceover. I hate being on camera. I will admit that was an advantage of us not having the monitors yet, that really only the front car could see what I looked like. Yeah. Every other car was just hearing my voice for an hour. Oh, I hated it. And especially because like, it would always be like the most unflattering like angle of us to be like super low angle. And it would be like, I'd have like so much sunscreen on and like, I couldn't really put on makeup because I would just like sweat it off during Los Angeles <laughs> summers. And then I would always get like inevitably like sprayed by like a Velocipaster or Velocipaster, Velociraptor <laughs> or like some, or, like, I wish you oh, had a Velocipaster. That sounds so much cooler. Velocipaster <laughs> is a great flick. If you've never seen it, it's made by my buddy, Brendan Steer. And it's really, really great. Velocipaster. Velocipaster. Yeah. It's about, <laughs> it's about a priest who is cursed to transform into like a were uh were velociraptor. <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh yeah, it it kicks serious butt. It's so it's so good. Um Great. but yeah. Um but yeah, I really just i started realizing very quickly i'm like i don't like this job because i have to be on camera it's like the last thing you want to do is be on camera after a giant animatronic shark jumps out of the water and you have to be like oh <laughs> like i don't want people to see me like this have you have you ever seen it it's many many years ago it was, it was from before even i worked at universal uh have you ever seen the bootleg video of the short film your studio and you I have not. Okay, so you can track this down on YouTube occasionally if it hasn't been pulled down because it gets pulled down again and again. Uh, but Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Oh wait, no, I have it. seen that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah with like video. and then with the Schweppes uh, yep, ginger ale. Yep, yep. yep, I have seen that. Where yes, yes, yes. Spielberg doing the, the the tour in front of Jaws and trying to tell everybody, look at the back of the tram, and nobody cares about the shark. <laughs> That's exactly what being a tour guide is like. Yep. It's that, and then it's also like 
begging people who don't want to, who I either a don't want to listen to you or b don't speak English to please sit down because they're going to die. <laughs> now I, I have to ask, and hopefully it hasn't changed since since when I was there. But during my time at, at Universal, you know, we had the private break room for the tour guides. That was like our big perk, and. The tour guide group was very cliquish. There was really two groups in that room. Mm-hmm. You had half the people who would really follow the script, and it was the same show every time. And then you had the group that would throw out the script, make up their own jokes, and constantly get in trouble for it. Which one were you? <laughs> I won't say that I'm a part of the, of the latter group on, <laughs> on record, but if you could see me, I am blushing rather. <laughs> hey, it's okay. What are they going to come and track you down and call yeah. your paycheck from years ago? Oh no, I I absolutely was a part of the latter group. I remember um, the Universal Studio Tour. The people who run run it are very great and everything, and I really treasure my time there. But also, like there was points where I was just kind of like getting tired and like burnt out from the mm-hmm. job and everything. And there's only really so many times that you can go on Fast and Furious Supercharged five times a day before it starts like wearing down and aging your soul. (laughs) And so at some point, um, I did start to make up my own jokes. Yep. (laughs) Yep. And one of them, which I'm really proud of, I never I didn't get caught for this one. And I'm shocked because with my luck, I thought I was bound to get caught. It was just like I went. There was one tour and it was a night tour, which are my favorites because we couldn't be, we were not allowed to be on camera during night tours because we right. turned into horrible demon monsters with glowing eyes on camera during the nighttime. <laughs> and so I loved night tours. I, they were my favorite. I didn't have to be on camera. I could just be this faceless voice. It was perfect. And um, it was around the time when Roseanne Barr was going under the cancellation process. And um, it, we went into the earthquake simulator and there's a part of the of the earthquake simulator where you're uh, it takes place in a subway terminal, and so all of a sudden the subway just comes in and crashes right in front of uh, your eyes. You're right in front right. of the action. Yeah. And <laughs> I pointed it out, and I'm like, ladies and gentlemen, if you look to your left, it's Roseanne Barr. <laughs> <laughs> That was always the best part of the tour was just making up stuff and messing with the audience. Like I used to, uh, anytime we'd go through the sound stages, if I saw like a PA going by or something like that, I'd be like, ladies and gentlemen, get out your cameras. If you look to the right side of the tram right there, that right there on the bike, that's nobody. They're wondering why they're taking pictures of you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I would do that with like my tour guide friends. If I saw them doing uh, VIP walking tours, I'd be like, ladies and gentlemen, it is local celebrity Danielle Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, please get your cameras out. The folks back home will not believe what you get to see. Post lots of pictures. I promise you very few people will know who she is, but I think she matters. And so ain't that the real thing? <laughs> I think my my favorite was uh, uh, the one, one summer when I was there, there was this guy from like Iowa or something like that, uh, who for whatever reason decided he wanted to be an actor and that because we worked on the lot, we were just like the doorway to fame and directors and producers. So he goes on the tour And he goes up to one of the tour guides and hands them a stack of headshots and says, would you pass these out for me, please? And it was the worst headshot you've ever seen. It was like a glamour shot. So we used to post those headshots up in the break room. And it became a running joke among all of us that anytime we were making up a a fact for something, like for a fake joke or something, it was this guy's name was Rick Johnson. And so it was always Rick Johnson in all of these projects. And uh, my favorite was at the time they uh, we were passing uh, the Court of Miracles, which was used for a lot of the old horror films. Oh, yeah. That's and my favorite part of the tour. I love Court of Miracles. Mm-hmm. But for some reason at this point, uh, some of the executives had decided that, that part of the tour was too boring. So they decided we need to spruce it up a bit. So they wanted to put a fake stunt there. What? <laughs> it was a horrible idea. But they're all facades. Oh, I'm aware, but they decided they they wanted to look like they were filming something, even though they weren't filming something. And so okay. they had this guy on a motorcycle, and when the tour bus would come by, he would jump the motorcycle. That was the whole stunt. And we were supposed to pretend like it was real, like they're really filming something. Worse, we were told that we have to use the correct name for this fake show, which they decided was called Action Man. 
Oh, come on. <laughs> so we were supposed to say, ladies and gentlemen, if you look, you know, blah, blah, blah. They're filming Action Man. So I decided to spice it up a bit. So that whole summer, anytime I would go past, I'd be like, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to quiet down for a minute. You've got a real treat. If you look off to the right side of the tram, they're actually filming a new stunt right here for the new show, Action Man, starring Cable Ace award-winning actor Rick Johnson. (laughs) I was like, what's the worst award I can think of to give this guy? (laughs) So he was Cable Ace award-winning actor Rick Johnson from Iowa. Starring Coronado High School honor roll at recipient rick johnson (laughs) oh that was i loved universal it was a fun fun gig and then i guess you went further with it because you ended up working in pyrotechnics oh yeah that was actually the first job yeah so i was like a i was a sweet little baby child 19 years old new and like brand new in hollywood freshly dropped out of college and i was applying everywhere to try and get some work and i couldn't get called back anywhere to save my life i applied to jamba juice barnes noble a bunch of restaurants to be a hostess and none of them were calling me back and i applied to universal studios and the next day i got a call in to come in and interview and when i got there they're like okay so we're currently interviewing for two different positions we're interviewing for parking attendants or show crew um show crew works with pyrotechnics would you be okay with that and i was thinking to myself like well i sure as hell don't want to be a parking attendant so yeah i guess (laughs) (laughs) and so yourself up or just want to blow yourself up exactly (laughs) so i was like 19 years old and i was like yeah i'll work with pyrotechnics sure and they're like have you ever worked with pyrotechnics i'm like no i haven't worked with pyrotechnics (laughs) fireworks are illegal in the state of california (laughs) exactly and so i was like this 19 year old kid and they're like well we appreciate your honesty and i'm like yeah and so i worked at universal and that was like my first job i ever had in california even before i ever landed any acting gig i was a pyrotechnician (laughs) at universal studios and so it was like, yeah, I had to work with fireworks. I had to rip out spent fireworks. I had to like make sure that the stuntmen were being safe. We had to be like work a safety watch too. I had to like push these giant carts full of like universal monsters up and down a stage. Wow. I had to hold a fire extinguisher and work as like safety for a guy who got set on fire like five times a day. <laughs> wow, that's a uh, geez. Nineteen, I think I was working in a movie theater. Uh, <laughs> same thing same thing they have to do with movies same thing same thing <laughs> wow what a crazy job it was it was nuts and then yeah and then i went on to work at the hollywood bowl for a little while as a pyrotechnician too and then only after all that was i like i really miss acting uh let me give the studio tour a shot and then i got in and then i realized oh i don't like being on camera and they make us be on camera uh, oh this might not be the job for me <laughs> So you so you said that you made the transition towards VO with uh, Bob Bergen's workshop? With Bob Bergen's workshop, yeah. I mean, um, that was my first foray into VO. So yeah. the college that I ended up dropping out of uh, <laughs> was CalArts, which is a really phenomenal animation school. Amazing school, yeah. Yeah, great school for animation. Um, and I, I, I defy went, you to find an animated project around here that doesn't have CalArts alumni. Oh, it's, it. <laughs> it's impossible. Um, and so I went there for a few months. And I went there for acting. Mm-hmm. And um, when I got there, I was like doing the tour and everything, like freshman orientation week. And I saw all these posters up of animators looking for voice actors for their projects. And of course, mm-hmm. I had never done VO. I was from a small town in like near Vegas. And so they were just sort of like, yeah, like submit your audition to this email. And so I just recorded it on my phone. And it was the rare case of like the first ever voiceover audition I ever did. I booked it. And then it wasn't it wasn't paid or anything. And I would later become friends with the girl who was uh, doing it. And I was like, I didn't realize it at the moment, but that was the happiest I had ever been while acting, even though I mm-hmm. love theater acting and everything as well. But that was like the happiest I had ever been. And then it didn't really click until like years later. And I uh, befriended a lot of people in the animation department because they're all hilarious and talented and wonderful people. And so they would have me in their uh, animated projects as like doing voiceover and stuff like that. And I always was like so overjoyed and so excited to do it, but still just wouldn't click because I sort of like had this like thing programmed in my brain. It's like, no, if I want to make money, the only option is to do on camera. And for some reason, voiceover just hadn't really pinged on my radar yet. Like it didn't occur to me that such Mm -hmm. a wonderful thing was a real job that I could do for money. And then finally I took, yeah, I was a studio tour guide and there was a free Bob Bergen workshop for like a one night workshop. 
Wow. And I jumped at the opportunity. I was like, absolutely. I want to learn voiceover from the voice of Porky Pig. Like who wouldn't want to do that? And so well, I jumped at the a, opportunity. That's a phenomenal opportunity because if you're trying to get into Bob's regular workshops, his regular class, it's literally a three-year waiting list. Oh yeah. Like, I'm still on the wait list. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm still on the wait list too. Like Bob is, Bob is really good and he's really hard to get in with. Yeah. And so the fact that like, yeah, I didn't even realize like at the time, like what an opportunity it was. I just was like, um, yeah, Porky Pig he's a legend. I would love to learn voiceover from him, even if it's just for a few hours. And so I jumped at it and the workshop changed my life. Like it just like, it finally clicked in my brain. I'm like, Oh, voiceover is a job. Like I could do acting and I could do all the kinds of acting that I'd want to do, which is just big charactery, like really fun stuff and not Mm -hmm. have to like, you know, have to worry about what I look like on camera as much. And I don't have to like worry about the superficial stuff. That's Oh, Oh, and then it took a few more months of working at the studio tour until I was like, oh, I hate being on camera. I never <laughs> want to do this ever again. And it was um, I was working at one of my other survival jobs, which was uh, Disneyland. I was sitting in the back of our work van waiting to do some more manual labor and push out some like hundreds pounds flats and things like that and drill stuff and just mm-hmm. really break a sweat. I was sitting there waiting to do that. And I was like, I'm like, I like this job so much more than I like being at the studio tour. Why is that? I mean, like acting is my passion. It's always been like the one thing that I've always really consistently loved and has like made me feel fulfilled. Why do? Why is it that when I'm doing behind the scenes work, do I feel happier than when I'm doing the studio tour job? And then I'm like, well, what's the thing that I hate most about it on camera? Oh, I don't like being on camera. Oh my god, a voiceover. Oh my god, I took that workshop with Bob Bergen. Oh my, oh my god. And it was like, yeah, it happened in the back of a Disneyland company van where I was just like sitting on break, and all of a sudden it was like this epiphany. It was like lightning struck me suddenly, and I like immediately started researching it, and like. Bob was gracious enough to give us his email. And so I emailed him and I'm like, okay, this is what I meant to do. How do I do this? And he was like, okay, there's a crazy teenager in my emails. Let me at least humor her. And I started like went on to the, like the Apple bookstore and I downloaded any like digital book that I could on voiceover. And I started reading it immediately. And I went on his website and I went on D Bradley Baker's website. And like, I just threw myself into it head first. Yeah. Oh, D's website is phenomenal. It's such an amazing resource. Yeah. I can't believe it's free. It's, it's amazing. It's it's like a free class that you can get online. I mean, it's everything you could need to know. It's, it's so good, but that's that's amazing. You had your, you had your, your moment, your epiphany is, you know, as, as Bob Hoskins would say on hook, I just had an apostrophe. So uh, (laughs) yeah, yeah. (laughs) that's awesome. So what, what was your first recording experience like once you actually got behind the mic? Um, I mean my first ever one or just like first professional foray into it. Let's go first professional. First professional one. Uh, first, first one I still can't talk about because I'm under NDA, but the one after that was. You're still under an NDA for something? Wow. Yeah. I mean, everybody's under NDAs, but. That's that's a long-standing NDA. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the first one that I can talk about, I <laughs> it was actually I'm thinking back to it, and I think this is true. I the first professional voiceover thing that I booked was um one of the leads in XCOM Chimera Squad. <laughs> <laughs> not a not a bad start. <laughs> not a bad start at all. No, I was yeah, I didn't realize that it was like a big role until the day of because I was notified. I went once again at my Disney job trying to make ends meet and I got notified. They're like, hey, um, like uh, you're like they want avails like or um, they want your avails for this project. And I didn't know what it was. I just auditioned for it. And then I found out later that I had booked it. And I was just thinking it was additional voices because I was just sort of like, oh, this is really cool. It's going to be my first video game. I've always wanted to be in a video game. I'm going to go in there and do additional voices. And then they were like, oh, yeah, it's uh, SAG, so they're going to Taft-Hartley you. And I was like, even better. That's great. And then when I took a look at I took a look at my paperwork, I looked at the role thing, and it said lead. And I'm like, uh, I got back to my agent. And I'm like, hey, I think there's been a mistake. Um, on my paperwork, it says lead. And so I think it's like additional voices. And there, she's like, no, I no, she, this is like this is like a big part. And I'm like, huh. And I was just thinking, <laughs> like, still kind of like talking myself out of it. I'm like, well, it can't be that big. I'm just like, I'm just some jerk from Nevada. And so I got in there and I recorded it and I like, it was a full four hour session and it was like just rapid fire, just like one lane after another. And I was like, uh, wait, this is a lot of talking for additional voices. Is this normal? <laughs> but of course I had no point of reference. So I was like, yeah, it's <laughs> probably just a bunch of additional voices stuff. 
and I'm just this one character. I, I guess so. And then on break, I was like, hey, um, this feels like a lot of lines. Is 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 this character big? And they're like, yeah, you're one of the leads. And I'm like, what do you what do you mean? They're like, I mean, that it's about a squad of people and you're one of those people. You're part of the main squad. And I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> and I was wow. just sort of like in the state of shock where I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, quite it was, a surprise to have suddenly dropped in your lap it was and i was i was completely stunned and it was so much fun i loved working on XCOM, um because it was just it was a blast because uh, my character terminal is very sarcastic and very uh dry mm-hmm. and so i got to bring some of my own personality into that and so they let me improv and ad lib a bunch and like all of us were just laughing the entire session and it was just a complete and total blast that's awesome well now you now that you mentioned that role you've done a, a quite a few different roles over the last few years uh what would you which role would you say you've had the most fun with oh no that's so hard <laughs> um i mean terminal was really fun because yeah it was just four hours of us making each other laugh and it was um me and the director's and I just kept like coming up with other ways to try and make them giggle. And that was just a complete and total blast. And so ter- uh, Terminal was a lot of fun. Let me see. I love playing Yoimiya in Genshin Impact too, because mm-hmm. she's very similar. She's just like really bright and bubbly and a very like cutesy girl, which I don't usually get to play cutesy girl characters. And I usually play sort of like the tougher, cooler characters. And so when I got cast as Yoimiya, I was like thrilled. I was like, ah, I get to be a cute anime girl. That's so exciting. <laughs> and yeah, so that yeah. was. You're saying that you don't really do the cutesy rules so much, yet you're in Hello Kitty and Friends. Like, is there a character in the entire Sanrio universe that doesn't qualify as cute? I mean, like, obviously, Kuromi and Cinemarol are very cute, but Cinemarol's a little boy, and Kuromi is more of like sort of like a tomboy. <laughs> and so I kind of have to be a little bit sassier for her, too. But yeah. Yoimiya is just like a sweet angel baby who wants to see the world be bright and cheerful. Um, I also got to record uh, this really fun uh, commercial. Uh, this was one of the first things I booked too. It was a uh, Walmart uh, like toy like commercial thing, and it was mm-hmm. um, it's it was an interactive game. So it, you go, the kids would go to this website, and they would get to go to like Barbie's Dream House and everything, and just get to like play with Barbie and like do these choose your own adventure games. And so I got to play like a bunch of different Barbies in that. And That's so fun. I, it was super fun. And then they were, just kept like throwing things at me and it was a blast. Cause they're like, oh man, we need like some crying babies. Like do either of you, it was me and this other very nice girl. They're like, do either of you know how to do a crying baby? And I was like, yes, yes. I've always wanted. Yes. Oh, yes. I know how to do this. I've been practicing this my whole life. I don't know why, but yes. <laughs> and so I immediately jumped at the chance. So I got to be a baby. I got to be a dolphin. I got to be like a newscaster. I got to be like all these crazy characters. And it was a total blast. And that was just, it felt like the VO like marathon or like dica- like decathlon where they just kept throwing new things at me. They're like, can you do this? And I was like, I can try. <laughs> it was so much fun. It does happen in sessions where it's like, oh, Gail, can you also do this? And let's, let's see, let's, Throw something at the wall and see what sticks. Exactly. Yeah, it's like, that's awesome. let's, let's find out. Um, make now, it. having done like uh, like Hello Kitty and, and like that there where you're doing some of the, the different, you know, toy-based stuff, I, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this because I think you're in the same boat as me, but do you collect merchandise for <laughs> oh, the characters Absolutely. Oh, see, some people don't, and I think that that is just so much fun. Are you kidding me? You're going to walk around or like you're going to walk around a store and you see the character that you voice and you're not going to spend $20 on that. Are you kidding? Or like, right? or in my case, I also just like skulk around the internet and just type in like cinema roll merch every like once every like two months and I see what's <laughs> new and I'm like, I don't have this one yet. And then I feel like the guy from Toy Story 2. I, I, I have done <laughs> the same. <my> collection. <laughs> I actually was, uh, I was talking with John Allen about this uh, a bit in that one of the problems that we run into is that having done like, uh, like anime characters and things um, in the merchandise world, not a lot of guys that are popular as merchandise. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if, if, if you want a guy character, you better really like body pillows. That's pretty yeah. much what we've got. 
<laughs> and like I've done some, I've done some husbando characters, but I'm not going to find any merch for them. <laughs> That's awesome. Love collecting merch. Oh, I, I love it. I love it. If I even if it's something like, ooh, a sticker, I'll be like, yeah, I gotta go track down that sticker. Oh yeah, like I've been, I've been on a very like ravenous hunt lately for uh character merch of Yoimiya from Genshin Impact. She's my latest character that I've gotten mm-hmm. to announce. And the fan artists of the Genshin Impact community are absolutely incredible. And so I've bought so many stickers and pins and charms and t-shirts and just like everything. And I'm just like, yeah, just give it, give me all of it. It's fine. <laughs> oh, that's, that's so cool. Yeah. I've got a, uh, uh, I was in a video game came out a, a couple years ago uh, called Epic seven. That's a, uh, that's a big big thing and they had a little bit of merch for it but it was all focused around the female characters and then uh, they announced that they were doing a board game version of the game Ooh, and i was fun. the production of it and i'm like so many characters in it why is my character only a cardboard figure why am i not one of the sculpts and i'm like <laughs> I, I know that i pre-ordered the game so that i can put it on the shelf yeah <laughs> that's yeah that's definitely happened to me before too where it's like i'm kind of like a secondary character in a show and like they have like all these like amazing like figurines and like beautiful like il- beautifully like illustrated pieces of merch for like the main cast and then i'm just sort of like the secondary ter- character which i still love and it's a huge honor but like they're getting like all this beautiful merch and i'll, I'll be like do you have anything for my character and like oh no no we don't and i'm like that's okay <laughs> That didn't break my heart at all. <laughs> when I was first getting started in voiceover, my first uh, big role that I got to announce was Elise in Fire Emblem Heroes, mm-hmm. which is so cool that I get to play her because I play Marth's older sister, which is just that rule so hard. And I kept like searching around Etsy and, and like I kept like looking around Twitter for anyone who was making Elise merch and I couldn't find a single person. <laughs> so I commissioned my own. I've been so tempted to do that and I haven't done it yet, but one of these days I'm going to break down. <laughs> I've done it and I, it was so worth it. I had, I have these little like acrylic charms that I had made of her in her little winter outfit. And I have another one of the character that I voiced named Eleonora in Fire Emblem Heroes 2. And I loved them. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I felt like Thanos just like, fine, then I'll do it myself. <laughs> and by do it myself, I mean pay an artist so they can do it. Because if I did it, it would be an abomination. <laughs> <laughs> Your your talents lie elsewhere. My talents lie <laughs> elsewhere, absolutely. <laughs> now, with with all of these these different characters, um, you know, obviously, you really kind of suddenly found yourself thrust into the limelight with one particular character, uh, voicing uh, comic book guy's wife Kumiko on The Simpson. That's one way to say it. Yes. Wow! Like suddenly, well, it's interesting because when it came, you know, when that happened, um, there was a lot of attention, in particular, on. Hank Azaria not voicing Apu anymore, but the secondary story that kind of got lost in the shuffle there was that Tress McNeil wasn't going to voice Kumiko anymore. Yeah, and you got to come in and, and and take over this this role, and now you are a you're a part of the cast. You're you know recurring guest star on Simpsons. Uh, what were the challenges in taking over a role that had already been established by you know an, an amazing artist in in Tress McNeil who was just I mean a phenomenal talent. Did that kind of, I mean, did that freak you out? Were you just, you know, how did you handle it? Of course it did. Are you kidding me? It's Tress McNeil. (laughs) She's an icon. I grew up like, like loving her work and I idolize her as an artist too. She's incredible. And when I found out it was Tress that I was taking over for, I like, I freaked out. (laughs) Tress is a living legend. She's incredible. And like, yeah, I think the hardest part about being Kumiko is it's, just not reading the comments. <laughs> well, you know, I have read some of the comments and they're generally pretty flattering. I mean, the stuff I've seen has all said that you're doing a great job. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't worry there. Um, the thing you know, that's I'm- crazy is that like, I know, like, I think I'm in a, I'm in it like a good place as far as mean comments go because mm-hmm. I was bullied in middle school. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm kind of like, ah, I've heard it all already. <laughs> Come up with something different. Like, what are they going to say? You're not Tris McNeil. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not. I know I'm not Tris McNeil. Who is? <laughs> like, am I allowed to curse? <laughs> am I allowed to cuss? I, it, it's, it's fine. I have an edit button. Should I need it? We'll see how far you go. <laughs> okay. I'm like, no shit. I'm not Tris McNeil. She's a, she's a living legend. She's incredible. Of course I'm not Tris. <laughs> and so like, if that's, that's, 
like the worst that I've seen of like some critiques here and there. And they're like, and then of course there's also the people that are like, ah, bleh, like, like SJW, blah, 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 blah. and I'm just sort of like, mm-hmm. nah. <laughs> I don't care if you like me. <laughs> I don't like you, so why do I care if you like me? <laughs> well, how? I mean, seriously though, how have you been dealing with like suddenly having so much success kind of thrown at you all at once? I mean, you you are suddenly like you're you're drowning in roles. You have so many roles coming your way. You're on the most successful animated series in history. Like that's a, I mean, that's a tall order. Dealing with that has got to be a, a bit of a challenge. It definitely is, especially because I really am uh, more of an introvert, which a lot of people don't believe because I'm an actor. But no, I, didn't, I didn't assume that you were just sitting around going, I deserve all of this. Finally, I'm getting my just due. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. It's the complete opposite. It's like I struggle so very hard with imposter syndrome, <laughs> especially when I'm like looking with who I'm working with. It's like I remember the first clip that they ever released of Kumiko um, after I started voicing her. All of a sudden, like I was hearing my voice alongside like Hank Azaria's and like Dan Castellaneta's. And I'm like, this this can't be right. And I was just like sitting there and I was with my friend and I was just sort of like, my head was in my hands and I'm like, no, 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 no. This is a prank. This is a, this can't be real. <laughs> and yeah, no, I, yeah. Um, if I can get very real, I definitely do struggle very much with imposter syndrome where I'm just sort of like, I don't feel like a successful voice actress. Mm-hmm. Most days I kind of still feel like I'm some kid from uh, Nevada who's getting away <laughs> with something like well, i feel like I think it- that's pretty common actually in this industry i think a lot of people struggle with imposter syndrome to some degree in part because we look at the other actors around us and we're familiar with their resumes and how they've influenced us growing up but we're you know we're, we're too close to it for ourselves you know we can't look at our own resume and see how it's affecting other people because you know we're not there we're in a booth but mm-hmm. if i look at if I look at, you know, Tress McNeil, I can be like, oh, my God, that, that was Dot Warner. Oh, my God. But, you know, to her, she's 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 in the middle of it. She's not out there looking at her own work and going, wow, this has affected me for years. Um, so I, I think it's a pretty common issue. I, you know, I know like uh, like Kevin Michael Richardson has talked about that quite a bit about feeling like, you know, am am I good enough? Am I good enough? And he's a brilliant performer. Kevin Michael Richards. Yeah, he's incredible. He's also on The Simpsons. I I, I feel like it's not uncommon for voice actors to go through that. And I think part of that's because we don't get that immediate feedback that we do in like stand-up comedy or something like that, where there's an audience right there in front of us confirming or denying us right in, in the moment. Actually, fun fact, that was what I originally moved out to LA to pursue when I was 19. That was like my actual, that was like comedy. Yeah, stand-up comedy. Because I know you've come out to the We Talk Funny live shows. Yeah. Now that I know this, I have to get you to perform on one. Oh, no. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. Hey, I've gotten plenty of other voice actors to perform who are not stand-up comics. You don't have to have a lot of stand-up comedy experience, and that is totally fine. We'll have you, you know, sing or juggle or something. (laughs) <laughs> we'll we'll see we'll see <laughs> but yeah i think yeah i try and stay just i don't know the way that i deal with it is by trying to just be really nice to people because mm-hmm. i grew up very much being a huge geek and you know like looking up to performers and looking up to uh just artists in a lot of different capacities and so um i grew up with social media yeah and so i remember what it was like being some kid and feeling kind of alone and then finding something that makes you feel less lonely and then really looking up to the performers who make you feel less lonely and make you feel like just a little happier during a bad day and how cool it was when they would like like your tweet or something like that and the rush that you got from just like being acknowledged or noticed by someone yeah and so that's kind of what i try and do is that um i realize now that i have this uh platform which i kind of carry that torch now yeah yeah that um it occurred to me that i sort of that's where I'm at now. And I do have a lot of kids who like look to me. I have a lot of younger fans. And so I just kind of try to be a good egg. Which, uh, which, which of your roles do you find brings the most fans, you know, to your social media? Yoimiya, the My Genshin yeah. Impact role. Yeah. Ooh, her okay. and um, also my role on uh, Rainbow High, Jade. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that gets a lot of attention. Um, those two characters, I think I definitely get the most fan engagement where I'm getting tagged a lot in fan art or I'm getting uh, tweeted about or I'll like be scrolling through my feed and I'll see 
a piece of like fan fiction <laughs> or just like a fan cam or just an appreciation tweet just being like oh I love this character so much they mean the world to me and I kind of like being sneaky and so whenever I see like a piece of fan art or something I like liking it or like tell them that they're doing a wonderful job because they are doing a wonderful job like it, it's so cool that what we do and that it makes enough of an impact on people that affects them to the point where it like inspires them creatively like that's so beautiful and it's like one of the best parts of this job truthfully is oh, knowing yeah. that like me saying some words on a script made someone so happy that they were inspired to draw something like that is so meaningful to me and so I just I, I just think it's amazing to, yeah, yeah I just I try and be the person that I needed when I was growing up. I think that's my approach to it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's amazing that people take what we do and sort of, you know, explore it creatively in their own ways. And it doesn't have to be professional. Amateur's fine. Uh, you know, doing fan art and things like that. I, I had a guy uh, reach out to me who was like, I love your voice so much. You're so great with this one character. And I was like, oh, thank you very much. And he's like, yeah, I, 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 I write stories. And I'm like, really? He's like, well, actually, uh, I write gay fan fiction about your character. And I think he was nervous about it. I'm like, that's amazing. That kid's ass. I'm like, I mean, it's not my personal thing, but I'm incredibly flattered. Like, no, same how thing. Would I it's not like, love that. I get a lot of people who um, will be like, oh, yeah, I love your character. She's a gay icon. And like, yeah. within the context of the show, that isn't like canon or anything, but I'm like, that means the world to me that you're able to see yourself represented in her. Like, that's so cool. It's amazing. Because it really, especially because it is a lot of like younger fans too, who mm -hmm. are looking for a representation or looking to see themselves in media. And the fact that they are able to see themselves in my characters, even though that's not my personal, like that's not like my personal sexuality. Like that means the world to me. Like, I'm really glad that they're able to find comfort in my characters and they're able to see representation. Yeah, it's it's incredible to think that you're touching somebody's life and in such a you know such an, a meaningful way. I mean, you're not curing cancer or anything, but these are still the things that they're going to carry with them through years, and it's going to influence how they grow as a person. And I yeah, I I I, I think it's an amazing experience to it's amazingly flattering to be you know used in that way for anything and. Yeah, it, it's an incredible responsibility, and uh, I I'd love to hear that you're you're taking it seriously. That's really cool. I think it's wonderful. Like, um, I've seen my characters pop up on Twitter accounts that are like, uh, the sapphic of the day and things like that, <laughs> and it'll be uh, a character that's not even like human, and it's for like a children's preschool show. But I'm like, you know what? If you're reading her as sapphic, then that makes me happy. Yeah. You know what? Like, if that if that's how you're able to see yourself and able to like find comfort, then hell yeah i'm glad that i'm able to make you happy in that way it's like plus they're fictional characters i'm like they're malleable if you want them to be gay then you know what they can be for you go for it interpret it the way that you want to interpret it yeah exactly it's like it's entertainment it's meant to entertain us and like make our days a little bit brighter and make it easier to be a human being when it's yeah. kind of tricky and so like go for it i think it's wonderful whatever interpretation helps you connect better with that that art form then yeah absolutely go for it yeah, and like especially uh, with some of my uh, children's TV show works, there's a I'll get tagged in a, a fan art of a character of mine drawn with like someone who they ship her with, and it's another girl. Mm -hmm. And it's very clear to tell that they're like you know fourteen. Some of them are twelve. They're just like little kids, and I'm like that kicks ass. That's so cool <laughs> that you feel comfortable to be yourself on the internet, and that like you're able to like just relate to this and that there's someone out there that is able to make you feel a little bit more comfortable. And that it's someone that I voice, like that's so flattering. I think that's so cool. That's really cool. Now with the, uh, with the different uh, shows that you've worked on, different projects you've worked on, um, how do you find that uh, knowing sort of the target demographics for the different projects, how does that affect your read and how you approach a different character? You know, if you're doing something in the Hello Kitty universe versus, uh, you know, doing uh, Genshin Impact or something like that? Uh, for me, it doesn't really affect my reads too much. Because for me, it's like, I try and figure out who at the core, like who the character is. And then mm -hmm. that's, that's where I go for in the read. Like, I just try to like embody them and figure out who they are mm -hmm. in what universe they live in. And that's, that's sort of it. Like, if I find out it's like a preschool character, I'm just sort of like, okay, but I try and figure out like what the world they live in is a little bit more. Because I find that uh, once you get to like the core of who they are, that's when the rest kind of falls into place. What about adjusting your read for different mediums? Like is your performance going to be different for animation versus a video game project? 
Yeah, I think so. Because, uh, I mean, video game projects, the way that they're skewing nowadays is that they're really going for more cinematic reads, the majority of them. Like, there is the odd, mm-hmm. like, JRPG or um, projects like Snacks, which I'm not in, but I think is amazing, mm-hmm. um, where they are going for more cartoony vibe. But the trend is that they often go for more cinematic reads. Right, right. So, it's yeah, it's a bit more of And a, so a, it's more like, you know, darker, gritty, gritty, just sort yeah. of like, yeah, I read for, like, most video games the way that I would probably read close for, like, a live action dub. Because it's just very, like, it's more, like, internalized because uh, there's going to be a lot more, like, drama where it lives in the silences rather than an animation where mm-hmm. the comedy lives in big moments. Right, right. And, and having done, you know, so many of these these different projects and, and actually expanding beyond that, even going out to, like, you know, the, the hundreds of auditions you do for projects that you don't end up booking, uh, what would you say is the weirdest direction that you've seen in all of this? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Putting you on the spot, I know. The only, like, really significant directing moments that I can think of, even though I've had so many phenomenal directors and amazing... Well, well I'm not talking just direction in the booth. I'm also saying, like, like script direction. Like, some of the I stuff... Mean, I think the weirdest direction that I've ever gotten is no direction at all. <laughs> <laughs> like, you just get an audition, and it's, like, three words on a page, and they're, like, they're a robot. And you're, like, okay. <laughs> Can I get a little bit more? Like, what kind of robot? Is it like an AI, like Siri? Or is it kind of like a claptrap kind of robot? Or are we just thinking like, just total like, uh, Rosie from the Jetsons? Like, what kind of robot? Like, what's their story? Like, what do they look like? What's the world like? Just give me something, please, God. <laughs> and then they're always shocked when they can't find what they wanted on the first like release of the character. And you're like, well, yeah, you just said a robot. <laughs> I think that's that's the weirdest direction for me, where it's just like they'll give you nothing, and then there's also the complete uh, inverse of that, where they'll give you like so many unnecessary details. They'll be like, "Her favorite food is this. Her favorite music is this. She's a Pisces. She loves lo- like long walks on the beach." And then you're like, "Okay, but how old is she?" And they're like, "Oh, that's not important." And you're like, "No, it is. It, no, 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 no. It it, it is because that affects what kind of voice." I give to her. It's whether I read her like a 40 year old woman or I read her like an eight year old girl, please, please (laughs) God, give me something. And they're like, well, her favorite food is bubble gum. And I'm like, that doesn't tell me what I need to know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely seen those where it's, I love the ones where it's like three paragraphs describing the entire backstory for this character. And then the, the actual dialogue is like five words. Exactly. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? I've gotten one that was like, no exaggeration, I think three pages of backstory. And it was just efforts for the audition. And I'm like, <laughs> I've gotten so many of those. <laughs> or they'll have you, they'll have you read for like six different characters and they want to hear what it sounds like when that character is getting punched. And it's like, they're all going to sound pretty similar. They're all going to sound pretty similar, dog. They all sound, they all get punched in the gut. That's usually where we go for. It's all going to be as like a quick compression of the diaphragm and they're yeah. going to sound pretty similar. My guy, I promise well, this you punch this. Is coming from a guy from Iowa and this one's a guy from Connecticut. It's like, yeah, no, it's just, it's just a dude getting punched. That's all it is at that point. And then yeah, yeah, I, I love it when you get the video game auditions where it's like 20 different types of efforts, but they're all incredibly similar. And it's like, okay, I get doing that in a session, but when that's the audition, it's like, what are you really looking for? Here? You're not going to get what you want. <laughs> it's astonishing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 interesting. Some of the stuff we see come out, and and uh, I always joke that I I love that you know a lot of these auditions were put under NDAs, and uh, that's that's pretty common in this industry. But I feel like there's this weird sort of rule where the bigger the project is, the less involved the NDA is. Like I'll have yeah. like, this like this is like a multi you know million dollar blockbuster summer movie. And I just see it real simple. Don't talk to anybody about it. Or it'll be like, here's a 12 page NDA and you need to sign with the blood of your firstborn because this is a commercial for shoes. Exactly. <laughs> My favorite ones are where like, it's like, they give the project a code name and then they change one name in the project for their character that you're reading. But then like two pages into the script, they just go back to the normal name and it's like a super recognizable property. And you're like, yeah. Hey, yeah. 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 You yeah. didn't just do control F. For this? 
Yeah, I I can actually think of an audition I just did uh, about a week ago for one mm-hmm. of those. Where mm-hmm. it's like, no, no, I, it's pretty clear what this is. You're not fooling anybody, especially if it's somebody who's you know kind of a geek like we are. It's exactly. like we're gonna recognize this. The thing that kills me is that I once read for this project, and it was like they changed uh, the character to like little kind of like Bob Joe. And so they're like, they're like, this is Bob Joe, Bob Joe. And then two pages later, the guy's like, he calls him Billy Joe. And I'm like, gee, I wonder what project this is. <laughs> like, you didn't even do control F. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> and it kind of gets I, to the point where I'm like, are you trying to conceal the project really? Or are you just trying to like kind of get a little carrot on the stick and be like, don't you really want to try hard for this audition? Want to give us your best stuff? Isn't this a big property that you'd love to be a part of? <laughs> I auditioned for one uh, a couple of weeks ago that uh, I can't say what it is, of course, but uh, mm-hmm. it was it was a continuation of a famous series uh, from a while back. And they were looking for, for new actors for this and they'd hidden it under a, under a, a, you know, a a project name and they changed the character names, but the dialogue they had us reading was from prior episodes of the show. I think I got that audition too. I know exactly what you're talking about. What this is. (laughs) And they put like reference videos that are just episodes from the show. (laughs) Yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. Why did you go to the trouble of hiding the names? This is not the names aren't the problem, my guy. <laughs> the names aren't what's aren't what's going to give it away. Just because I'm calling this character Bob now doesn't mean I don't know who Bob is. I know what context clues are. <laughs> it's wild, oh, and then geez. like the thing that like <laughs> yeah, it's like for the Simpsons. Um, they like when I got the audition for it, it just straight up said the Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> it just straight up said the simpsons and they're like yeah this is for kumiko and like it just straight up did like that and then sometimes for like these really small projects that are like never really even come to light it'll be like 10 pages of nda and they're like use yeah. code names for everything they like like take a picture of your mom's current location to they let you know that they know where she is as like leverage and but like the simpsons was just sort of like no it's the simpsons you want to audition for us okay <laughs> Well, listen, uh, before we wrap this up, I always like to play uh, a game with my guests because We Talk Funny is all about cartoons and games and breakfast cereal and all the stuff that made Saturday morning great. So are you up for a game? Sure, let's do it. Awesome. So we are going to play a game here called Three Tunes, One Lie. (laughs) There's sound effects. So what we're going to do here is I am going to ask you uh, 10 of these. With each one, I'm going to name the names of four different animated series. Three of them are real, and one of them is not. You have to tell me which is not an actual animated series. Okay, I think I got this. Let's see. Let's let's see how uh, let's see how good you are. Here we go. Universal Studio tour guide. I'm a weird lexicon of trivia. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Here we go. All right. Number one: A. Peanut butter and chocolate. B. Apple and onion. C, potato and chip. D, sugar and toys. Well, now I'm not confident anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I know apple and onion is one of them, is a real one, because that's on Cartoon Cartoon Network. Network. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with sugar and toys. Sugar and toys. No! That is an animated series on Fuse Network. It is peanut butter and chocolate. There is no Uh... chocolate cartoon. All right. Number two, Blue's Clues, Gabby's Dollhouse. Shy Boy's Shotgun, or Playboy's Dark Justice? <laughs> uh, what was the third one again? Shy Boy's Shotgun. I'm going to go with Playboy's Dark Justice. <laughs> was it Shy Boy's Shotgun? Shy Boy's Shotgun. Damn it, those are the two that I was stuck between. I was Playboy, like, I know... Ga- <laughs> Playboy's Channel actually did their own limited animated series called Playboy's Dark Justice. And I didn't get that call. I'm from Vegas. That's rude. I wouldn't have done it because I don't agree with it, but I would have liked the call. That's rude. All right. You're 0 for 2. Come on. You got to, you got to, you got to catch up here. Got to catch up. All right. Number three, the new adventures of Speed Racer. B, the new adventures of Captain Planet. C, the new adventures of Turbo Teen. D, New Kids on the Block. New Adventures of Turbo Teen. Yay! Yay! You 
Turbo Teen, they never did a reboot of that, baby. Turbo Teen was terrible. There was no way they were bringing that one back. I'm the one waiting for it. I'm the audience. (laughs) (laughs) He turns into a car. Give me more of it. (laughs) Come on. This could go so much further and darker. Make it an anime. But (laughs) Rick and Morty would have a a part of one episode where Morty changed into a car. Netflix, pick it up. Make it into the Newcastlevania. Dark and gritty. Get Kevin Dark Smith rebooted. Hell yeah! <laughs> I want more Turbo Team than Alex Mack. <laughs> All right, number four: The Angry Beavers, Happy Tree Friends, Chicken Squad, or Dogs with Jobs. Chicken Squad. What is oh, Dogs? Chicken, chicken Squad is a show on Disney Junior. It is, is it? Dogs with Jobs is not real. Chicken Squad is a J- Disney Junior show. Okay, because yeah. I knew Happy Tree Friends. I'm like, I I grew up watching Happy Tree. Yeah, Friends. Happy Tree Friends is great. And Angry Beavers was a classic '90s Nick cartoon. Oh, absolutely. I was like Angry Beavers for sure. Happy Tree Friends is always like fifty fifty for me, and I keep losing that fifty fifty. <laughs> you're you're one for four. It's not. This is why I left Vegas. <laughs> All right, I number cut five. it as a gambler. I had to make it into voice acting. <laughs> Here we go. Number five. A. Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd century. B. Cleopatra in space. C. Uncle Sam under the sea. B. Biker mice from Mars. I want to watch all of these shows. <laughs> Uncle Sam under the sea. Uncle Sam under the I would have been very upset if you'd said Cleopatra in space because I'm on that show. <laughs> That would have broken my heart right there. <laughs> I, I, I know I want to watch Chicken Squad now. I wasn't aware there was a Disney Junior show. I'm like, well, now I want to watch Chicken Squad. Chicken Squad. I, I haven't seen it, but I'm just really hoping that they go dark and gritty with it. Chicken Squad. Chicken Squad. <laughs> Tales from the barnyard. You're off the squad. You're a renegade cop. I need your badge and your tail feathers. You're getting too cocky. <laughs> All right, number six. You're a you bad got two of them so far. Two for five. You're up to 40%. That ain't bad. A, DC Superhero Girls. B, Hero Elementary. C, Stan Lee's Superhero Kindergarten. Or D, Tots in Tights. <laughs> um, what were the second and fourth options again? Second option is Hero Elementary. And D is Tots in Tights. I'm going to go Hero Elementary. Damn it. Uh, it was Tots in Tights. Damn Hero, it. Hero Elementary is a, is a, is a, a show on PBS Kids. Uh, Little kids learning how to be superheroes. Yeah. Oh, that's so Aww. cute. Oh, good for them. <laughs> They'll succeed even though I'm not. Yeah. The education system ain't that bad after all. Look at that. <laughs> I, I believe the children are our future. <laughs> Number seven, A, Shimmer and Shine. B, Princess Guinevere and the Jewel Riders. C, Pretty Shiny Rock Stars. D, Magical Girl Friendship Squad. Magical Girl Friendship Squad is absolutely one. That's gotta be. I believe with my whole heart, because that sounds like an anime, and there's an anime title. You could say just any string of nouns, and that's an anime somewhere. (laughs) Okay. You could say cookie jar police report, and that's an isekai somewhere. <laughs> I believe then. So Magical Girl Friendship Squad, that's innocuous enough that that is indeed a show. Shimmer and Shine, that's the show about the genies. Yeah, okay. Uh, what were the other two again? Princess Guinevere and the Jewel Riders, or Pretty Shiny Rock Stars. Let me see. Okay, I'm going to talk through this one, because Princess Guinevere and the Jewel Riders, that sounds like a Discovery Kids show or something. Like, that sounds like something like something historical but also princess guinevere i mean guinevere she was not a gallant woman (laughs) she was just sort of like kicking in an avalon and causing problems a little bit (laughs) um pretty shiny rock stars though i think that sounds like a real thing but it also sounds vague enough that i think it might be fake i'm gonna say princess guinevere is the fake one Pretty shiny rock stars is the fake one. Princess Guinevere and the Jewel Riders was a syndicated cartoon show in the mid nineties. Ah, uh, and hey, you were right on the other two. I mean, Shimmer and Shine—that's that's on Noggin. And actually, Magical Girl Friendship Squad is not an anime. What? That is an adult animated series on the Sci-Fi Network. 
even better. <laughs> cool, <laughs> which, cool, With cool. just a great title. Magical Girl good. Friendship Squad. Mm-hmm. How could you not want to see that? All right, number eight. What, what, you got two rights so far, I think? It's not been good. It's not great. This is not, this is not, what I, the, the, this is not the geek showing I was expecting. <laughs> I'm embarrassed, too. You think I'm proud of what's <laughs> happening here? All right, number eight. A, Captain Simeon and the Space Monkeys. B, the Schnookums and Meat Funny Cartoon Show. C, Pinky Malinky. D, Pudgy Fudgy. Is this what's on cable? This is, I don't have cable. I only have Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus (laughs) and HBO Max. But this is why I need to get back to on cable so I can be better at this specific game. (laughs) I need to at least like read the TV guide sometimes. (laughs) I'm mortified at my performance today. Um, (laughs) It was Captain Simeon, Pudgy Wudgy, Pinky Winky. Let me, let me go through the four okay, again like, and bring every single one of those titles. All of them were real buck wild. Let me tell you what, Ken, you took me on a journey there. It was a roller coaster from start to finish. Some of those I don't think are words. And I'm just <laughs> along for the ride in this Willy Wonka thesaurus that you're spewing out. It's awesome. All right. A is Captain Simeon and the Space Monkeys. B is the Schnookums and Meat Funny Cartoon Show. C is Pinky Malinky, and D is Pudgy Fudgy. I think it's Pudgy Fudgy. <laughs> it is Pudgy. I don't know which word would be worse in that title, Pudgy or Fudgy. They both sound like they something you, sound you don't want to call a child hero. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Captain Simeon and Schnookums and Meat, those were both syndicated shows back in the 90s. And Pinky Malinky was just recently on Netflix. Then I have even less of an excuse. Don't say that. Don't let people hear you say that, Ken. I'm supposed to stand by my paper thin excuse. <laughs> it's on one of those two things that you actually watch. <laughs> Don't tell people that. Let me live in my sweet ignorance. <laughs> Number nine. A, Frank and Beans. B, Victor and Valentino. C, DJ and the Fro. D, Tuca and Birdie. Tuka and Birdie's real. That's Ali Wong and Tiffany Haddish. Victor and Valentino is real. Christina Valenzuela is on that. I think Carolina Rivas is on that as well. Um, the other one was, the other two were what? Frank and Beans and DJ and the Fro. DJ and the Fro is the fake one. What? Frank and Beans is not real. DJ and the Fro was a cartoon on, on MTV. I thought for sure I had heard of a cartoon called Frank and Beans. That, that, was, sounds... a Titmouse, that was a Titmouse animation show on uh, on MTV. DJ oh. and the Pro. In fact, I think if I remember right, I think it was the same team that did Stroker and Hoop. Huh. Yeah, it was it wasn't around for real. It was around for like one or two seasons. My boyfriend used to work at Titmouse. Over on uh, Lexington? I think so, yeah. He uh, well, I, he worked he worked with them during the pandemic and so he just worked. With I them love all. that office. They were opening their new office and I was like, You have to bring me down to the new office just so I have an excuse to steal more coffee mugs. <laughs> <laughs> I have two the, coffee mugs in my in my That's kitchen the thing right that now. I miss most about going into <laughs> studios is that they're so they always have really nice free things for you there. And I'm like Oh, it yeah. wasn't free. I really probably shouldn't have taken it. <laughs> See, I remember uh, I was on an episode of Central Park and I got to go in the green room and I got to go to the Bento Box Studios, which was so cool because the Bento Box uh-huh. Studios, they have like a fully recreated Bob's burgers restaurant as their kitchen and it oh that kicks, is so cool it kicks ass it's so cool and they have like this little the kitchen window that they have is an lcd screen that has like different characters walking by and the green room was so nice and i got like a free bag of swedish fish and it was a great day <laughs> <laughs> i like so, that you tell, tell me about all these amazing things at bento box and then your big takeaway is that you got a free dollar bag of candy it was so exciting i was like they got me in there and i was like i can this is for me and they're like this is for you and i got free swedish fish look that's that's like brand name candy that's a big deal <laughs> they didn't just have like the the giant scoop from the grocery store of random candies in a in a in a bag from the produce department i'm a simple woman you give me swedish fish i'm pumped i'm jazzed one time i remember like i remember very distinctly the different snacks that i get from different sessions one time i recorded something over at verite and i got a bag of funyuns and i was real excited about that too <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little raccoon person. I just go in there, I forage what I can, and then I just sort of like just, like skitter out. See, I think you just won over all the people who might have been making bad comments about you on The Simpsons because if they're taking time to make bad comments on the internet, they're probably sitting there consuming Mountain Dew and Funyuns. 
That's like the that's that's like the traditional meal for people who troll on the internet. Bunions are good. <laughs> I'll die on that hill. I I'm pretty sure you're just saying this so that hopefully the Funyuns people are listening to this podcast and like send you a free crate. They're like Jenny Yokobori likes Funyuns. Let's also let's get yes. it some of those people. Yeah, it can be for it can be for multiple reasons that I'm saying this. Look, I can be a sellout, and I can also just really genuinely enjoy onion flavored rings. I'm already really excited to see Shang-Chi. I'd be more excited if the Ten Rings were Funyuns. <laughs> I, You're think a that would add to the, I think they would add to the storyline. <laughs> At some point, you know they're going to be down to like three rings left, and it's going to affect a lot of the plot. Marvel hit me up. I got great ideas. Let me write a, <laughs> let me write a one-off where Shang-Chi has ten Funyuns. <laughs> Oh man, okay. I I have to go to this tenth question because I just I need you to go out on a good note here. Mm-hmm. All right, last question: A. Sit down, shut up. B. Love death and robots. C. When will death claim me? D. What a cartoon. This is not easier, Ken. You're setting me up, and you're like, I want you to go out on a good note. The only one that I'm sure of is Love, Death, and Robots, because that show rules, and I want to be on it so bad, I want to, I could throw well, it up. Yeah, and it got nominated for, for an Emmy and an Annie. It got and nominated for, like, yeah. everything, rightfully so. That show's incredible. Um, I think it was Sit Down, Shut Up, Love, Death, and Robots. Uh, when Will Death Claim Me? <laughs> um, and well, What I a think- cartoon. My brain tuned out after when will death claim me because my like little nihilistic brain was just sort of like, hey, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, Lord. I think what a cartoon is real. Mm-hmm. That okay. sounds like something that would be real because that sounds just I uh, this is purely just gut instinct and I shouldn't be listening to my gut because it has led me astray so far. It has led me towards Funyuns and nothing else. <laughs> um, I'm going to say, when will death claim me? (laughs) (laughs) Sit Down, Shut Up was a cartoon on Fox that ran for one season. And what a cartoon was a variety show on Cartoon Network where they had little clips from different animated series. That's what I thought it was. Okay, cool. That's what I was thinking it was. I'm like, because I was thinking, I'm like, it sounds like cartoon cartoon. And that's why I think it's real. Yes, and When Will Death Claim Me is just something that definitely should be a show because that's, I love that title. That's something that you and I are going to workshop for the next pilot season. We're going to get somebody on this. This has got to go. It's got to be a thing. It's going to be Mark Marin and Danny Trejo. <laughs> It'll be the most depressing animated series of all time. Louis Black, Danny Trejo, and Mark Marin. In their own magical girl series. It's, that's my turbo. just ride around on unicorns solving that's mysteries. My, that's my Turbo Teen reboot. <laughs> the new adventures awesome. of old Turbo Teen. <laughs> well, Jenny, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, we're going to have to get you on the stage for one of the live shows once the world stops burning and we start doing those. So, you know, start writing that stand-up set now. I, <laughs> I'm ready for you. And if you want to sing and juggle in that set, hey, we'll we'll put those in too. Why not? Those are things that I want to do even less. That's like, okay. if, And if you want to set yourself on fire and jump into a pit of sharks too, that's okay too, Jenny. Just go well, for it. Well, for you, I know a good pyrotechnician. You're in a silly, goofy <laughs> mood. Why not? <laughs> Listen, this has been a lot of fun. I'm going to I'm gonna close this out with the uh, the same words my mom would say every Saturday morning when the cartoons were over. The show's over. Go outside and play. Aww, I love that.